This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Welcome to the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. Twenty years ago, Regina Spector, who was born in Moscow, was just another aspiring musician in New York. She was lugging around a backpack full of self-produced CDs and playing at little clubs in the East Village, anywhere that had a piano, really. But anonymity in Spectre's case, it didn't last long. She toured with The Strokes in 2003, and once she had a record deal of her own, her ambitions grew well beyond the borders of indie music. I never loved nobody fully Always one foot on the ground Her album Begin to Hope went gold. And Spectre began moving into more of a pop vein, writing anthems about love and heartbreak, loneliness and death and God. And she even wrote the theme song to Orange is the New Black. Spectre's music is powered by years of classical training on the piano, and a voice that goes from a whisper to a roar. She's about to launch a tour of the U.S. in support of the record called Home Before and After. It came out last summer, and the New Yorker's music critic Amanda Petrosich joined Regina Spector in a living room with a grand piano to talk about the album and to listen to some of the songs. So, Regina, it's been quite a while since we've had a record from you. Who's counting? But uh, 2016 (laughs) was the last time, and it feels like... Since that moment, the world has kind of turned itself inside out a few times. Uh, I'm curious how the last six years have been for you. And I I know there's been some performances and and a residency and some kind of one-off recordings, but how have you been spending that time? Well, you know, it's one of those things where as I've been doing some interviews with this record coming out, that's how I found out how much time has passed. I'm not really aware of time in a, in a kind of useful way. So I think I have a, a serious time management problem. And I think that a lot of the time when the world is normal and when there's structure, I sort of rely on that to kind of push me along, like that, that famous line of like, there's nothing more inspiring than a deadline. And for me, that's very, very true. So what I do is I end up writing songs just as I live life. Like they're kind of like a byproduct of me in the world. 
But also, I guess every dream has its, you know, its shadow side. And my shadow side is that I will stretch time um, unless somebody tells me that I have to do something. Is that isolation kind of typically an essential part of your process, that sort of old jazz idea of woodshedding of, you know, I just have to go away for a while and, and kind of live with this work and, and be in it and, and be free of distractions for a moment to sort of focus and, and make art that speaks to me? Well, it's funny. I never get to go away and sort of do that thing for writing. Like I always hear about people. They're they're like, I went to a cabin and I wrote a record. I'm like, how? How did you? you know, because <laughs> yeah. because yeah. to me, it's like a lot of the time I, I have friends. They actually know how to, you know, every day at this time they will go and they'll work. You know, I'm not like that. I I have to feel inspired and I could almost... When I talk about it in an interview, I could almost like hear eyes rolling. Like, I could almost like feel it. And it's like this horrible thing where, um, I don't know, I must have put this idea into my into my head. Like I remember reading some interview and in some music magazine on an airplane like years ago. And it just somehow like it kind of wounded me like a little paper cut mm. where it was some... I don't even remember who the musician was, but I remember it was a man and he was kind of, an, uh, you know, legendary. And he was saying that, you know, I'm just so sick and tired of people talking about inspiration, like music writing is craft and it's it's hard work. Mm. And and I was sort of like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I have never experienced that, you know. And it's yeah. just like, I, I know hard work in the studio. I know long hours. I know... Um, throwing yourself into deadlines. I know hard work of practicing for hours and relearning all these songs that I basically forget fully from time to time. But I only can write when I'm inspired. And I only, you know, if I sit down to the instrument and I and I start to play and it just feels like nothing, it almost like it almost disgusts me on a physical level to like continue. It just I step away. I do something else. I'll cook. I'll take a walk. I'll do all of the things on my endless to do list. But I I can't force myself to try and write a song. You know I I am not a famous old man, but I thought the way that you were describing songwriting uh, was so beautiful and and lovely. And it's you know it's organic and it's kind of a part of your life. And you haven't compartmentalized it or professionalized it in a way that makes it sort of an island. You know, in the stream of your existence, it's really it's like breathing. And I mm. I think in some ways I would imagine that leaves you really open to sort of the whims of of the day. You know, it's it's anything can kind of blow through the window in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I, uh, yeah, that's, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that image. I do feel like there's some part of me that's like, well, this is just how you make art and everybody's got these different systems. There's almost 8 billion of us on this planet and we really vary. And so it's like, maybe my type of system is just kind of needed for this kind of music. And then there's all this other music in the world that um, I mean, that's sort of the blessing, like uh, how diverse we are is just, I mean, we pay so many terrible prices for being humans. Yeah. <laughs> One of the good yeah. things is <laughs> let's enjoy the good yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that idea. Could we, Regina, could we hear a bit of Loveology? Oh yeah, sure.
time, um, Regina, there's a line in Up the Mountain, a new song, uh, or two lines actually, that I, I think about a lot of in my own life. You ask us to hurry, hurry, but also slow down, slow down. <laughs> and I feel like, God, is there anything else that sort of better encapsulates, you know, the tension of life in the 21st century? Uh, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that song, about the mountain in that song, uh, and maybe play us a tiny bit. Well, you know, when I started writing this song, I didn't even realize that I was writing it at first. I kind of just got that little, you know, the little, like this little rhythm in me. And I would just walk and I was, I I was always hearing, it was like a tiny haunting. I would like be at a, at a, you know, at a stoplight. I would just be like, like yeah. this little, and I would just be like wiggling like yeah. a crazy person, like no, to that little rhythm. Fine, it's a little sinister. Like I like that yes. just tiny bit of of eeriness to that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of like always tapping me on the shoulder, you know. And I would just be at home, and it would be doing it, and I would just be, and it was just around me. Whenever it would get quiet, it would just kind of sneak in and just be there. And then one day, this I started kind of pulling on this thread of it, and it really and and then that little you know that little like in the ocean, there's a mountain. On the mountain, there's a forest. In the forest, 
In the forest, there's a garden. 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 Gotta get in there, gotta get in there, gotta get in there, gotta get in there. And it was just this kind of fairy tale started to kind of emerge, almost like, you know, those old fairy tales that have like a I, I know that some of the Russian ones would have this, but where they you would where you would have um, a sort of this oh, ball of yarn and it would just roll and you would just follow the thread and you would pull on the thread and it was kind of like this very mysterious little fairy tale emerged. Yes, your music is so sophisticated, it's so gorgeous, but there is this sense of wonder that's almost childlike, right? There's mm-hmm. there's a imagination that's kind of clearly fueling this work in a way that seems extraordinary to me and so singular to you and your work. And and it, there's an almost um almost kind of a fairy tale quality to some of the narratives. And and it's interesting to hear you talk about how those things are linked. Yeah, I mean I am I am very, very happy um sort of when I'm not necessarily in the mucky muck of the logistics of the world. I'm very happy to be like in the world of the like unconscious and the symbolic and the archetypal, you know, and all that, or I'm really, really happy sort of just being like, wee, you know, in the like whimsical (laughs) and the surreal and the, and the kind of, I think that, you know, life pushes you, especially as an adult, and especially when you're responsible for other little humans, to be um, a present in this kind of logistics sort of way. And I, I think that I try as much as possible to just integrate fun because I, I love fun mm-hmm. and I love beauty and I love magic. And this world is really full of that. And I will just, I will not have anybody take that away. <laughs> I'm very much like, I, 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 I fight for certain things and that's one of the things I fight for. It's like I protect the borders of my land from like the invasion of the unfun and the dreary and the dull and the boring and the, you know. And it's so, such an important <laughs> idea, right? Because I think the culture of the world, you're saying as adults, it tries to teach us that playfulness and seriousness are somehow at odds, that that's a binary. Yes. Those things can't exist at the same time. You know, certainly I think your music proves otherwise, but it is a practice to sort of say like, no, this can be joyful and light and buoyant and silly and also be, you know, a serious composition. It can also be a real piece of music. Yeah. And and you know what? One of the things that I truly, truly, I guess I'm like holding a torch for is like the idea that fiction can be really, really uh, true and emotionally true. I think at least at the moment it seems that for the most part in in our in our culture in our society the consensus is that you know things that are um autobiographical or biographical are true right. and it's sort of all interchangeable and i'm just kind of out there holding a torch for like <laughs> you know like gregor samsa and like anna karenina <laughs> they're yes. as real to me you know as yeah. real people and they're as personal they're as authentic and i think in the world of art you know i pledge allegiance to the imagination mm. and in writing songs that oftentimes end up in the realm of stories or fairy tales or maybe have 
the I or the me be something other than Regina, you know, I strive for that, but I truly believe in that. Why can't you be very serious about being playful? Why can't you be really personal about uh, fiction? There's also a song on the record called Becoming All Alone. Uh, and, And for me, I think the most sort of stark and intense quality of you know, these last couple of years is, uh, you know, the isolation and kind of alienation. And and um, I'd love for you to play us a little bit. Sure. I went walking home alone Past all the bars and corner delis When I heard God call He said, hey, let's grab a beer It's awful late We both right here And we didn't even have to pay Cause God is God And he's revered And I said, why doesn't it get better with time? I'm becoming all alone Coming on 
Regina Spector at the piano playing Becoming All Alone. Why is music so hard to play? <laughs> ah! She's talking with staff writer Amanda Petrosich. We'll continue in just a moment. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you are not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. Our music writer, Amanda Petrosich, spoke last year with Regina Spector, the singer and pianist and songwriter, and will return now to that conversation. Spector came to this country as a child from Russia. Amanda asked her about the war in Ukraine and this moment of tension between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, Regina, you were born in Moscow and, and lived there until you were nine years old, uh, a curious, you know, lately Russia obviously has been occupying the national imagination as we saw kind of look on um, as this conflict with Ukraine continues. I, I just wanted to ask you about your perspective uh, on that war from afar. Well, I mean, I think in some ways my view into it is probably... um it's just colored by all of these different layers of everything I've experienced. Like in some ways, I'm just like every other single like sane person on the planet looking at a war that's begun in this day and age with these weapons on an absolutely, you know, on civilians, on a, on a country, like an unnecessary war. In another way, just having come from the Soviet Union, where really all of those republics and all of those kind of countries were united. Granted, they were united through absolute like repression and oppression. But, you know, when I was little, like we had all half of my family are like from 
Ukraine and half are from Russia. They're all over the place. My, my grandparents grew up right uh, if they're from Zhetomir, my dad's parents, and my other grandparents are from Belarus, and my, you know, my great uncle is from Siberia, from Novosibirsk, and I have all these relatives from Siberia, and then I have all these relatives from Odessa, and then I have all these friends from Kharkov, and now it's St. Petersburg, but Leningrad, and and all these other places, and so to me, it was just like we all had the same music. We all had the same films. We all had the same food. Everybody fought the Nazis, you know. And so to me, the only, I guess, little bit of, um, without, without speaking out of both sides of my mouth and with complete acknowledgement of the horror and the nightmare of it and that there's obviously a wrong party and a right party, it's the only thing that, I, that rises up in me is this vilification vilification of the humans, the Russian people. I do not believe that this is people. I do not believe that, I don't believe in cultural bans. But I think if you have it in you, if you have the soul strength to not dehumanize the Russian people and to not start creating another boogeyman and saying, well, the Russians this and the Russians that, then you will be part of the solution to this. Because the more we vilify and isolate and sort of bad dog, when you start to take away a nation's dignity, when you start to uh, make them feel like they are, uh, they don't have a seat at the table as people, you are literally working in partnership with those leaders because propaganda works. That's why they all do it. And I think that you're basically helping. You're helping the people just be corralled, be walked right into the the prison of, well, they don't respect you. They don't understand you. They hate you. I love you. I will help you. I'll take care of you. And, and, and I think that the more we can connect culture, the more we can keep people realizing that it's the same feelings, the same songs, the same films, that same art, that we value these things together, that we like, it's not like somebody in St. Petersburg is sitting there not worrying about their child, you know, right. or, or wanting to hurt somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's that's the thing. It's like I I don't want to carpet bomb any city. Yeah. But somebody could be doing that in my name right now. Of course. I mean, and I think you're right too that music and art can be such um a clarifying and powerful force in in terms of kind of reminding us uh, of our own humanity and our sort of shared experience of this earth. Uh, And I'm curious if that has been an experience for you sort of touring and performing globally. Uh, You know, these stories you're telling feel very singular and kind of unique to you, but here they are resonating so broadly. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think I have gotten just the, the privilege of it hasn't worn off at all. Um, but I definitely remember just when I first began touring all, like the world, just being shocked, even even just that that people would know the songs, that they would connect with them. And even just with the idea that 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 these weren't English speaking first English first language countries, mm. but also I really would feel it. I have this one song um, called Après Moi, and it has it has um, it has a, a stanza from Boris Pasternak 
in it of a of a poem and i sing it in russian and and it and it's it's the way that the way that the audience is all over the world would connect to me speaking russian like to them or singing russian rather um it was just so beautiful because it almost felt like with them not being um english as their first language audiences and with me not being an english as my first language a performer that we would meet in sort of this whole other place that was like beyond uh sort of national uh kind of boundaries and that we could all just be really together and yeah. it's really like there are no boundaries yeah. uh, no language barriers we're all just here together we're all blown about and one day you can be in a in a another country than your own and you will connect with people and bring something of your culture there it's such an important and comforting idea um could you play a bit of that song or are you not ready for that at all <laughs> it's okay if you can let me see <laughs> figured i'd ask mm.
We were talking a bit earlier, you were saying time has always had a funny sort of place in your mind. And I, I think that emerges frequently in your work. Uh, you know, time is a sort of rubbery kind of nonlinear concept. Uh, that's something I love about your songs because it feels like there's sort of room to kind of disappear in them. You know, it's, it's, I, know it's a, yeah. I don't know, they're propulsive and they sort of push me in a certain direction, but it also feels really free. Uh, I was hoping you could play a bit of space time from the new record uh, and maybe talk a little bit more about that idea. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. You know, this this song actually, it, it kind of got born of 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 this idea. Um, I got invited to speak at a at a at an event at Pioneer Works, and um, it was called Universe and Verse, and it's something Maria Popova puts on, where she kind of combines science and poetry, and and she was saying, you know. Yeah, you could play a song, and uh, I kind of got, I kind of got ambitious because she said, "Well, some people were writing, you know, a new poem or a new thing," and and so I was like, "Oh, I could do a new thing," you know. And of course, um, I started thinking a lot about it, and I was talking to a friend of mine in in, in Paris actually who done a lot of reading on on the science of it and he said you know I keep I keep getting these very deep very complicated technical books and every time the scientists run out of sort of the math they go to philosophers <laughs> and they're all <laughs> quoting poets and philosophers yeah. and so at the end I think that you know at its most it, it goes all around it goes all through science and math and physics and quantum physics and then it just comes out at like philosophy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you 
know, it just pops out. And it's like, actually, the best way we still have to describe this absolutely bizarre, surreal experience on this planet is with you know, these abstracted human ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that I started um, working on this song for then. And of course, it was it, it turned into this massive, big song. Um, and then it kind of um, became, in, in, in a strange way, the heart of this record to me. Slow. 
Flames. Hey. 
Regina Spector. That was Spacetime Fairy Tale. Spector's latest album is Home Before and After, and she spoke with The New Yorker's Amanda Petrusich. I'm David Remnick, and that's our program. I want to thank you for joining us. See you soon. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbess of Tune Yards with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Brita Green, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, Louis Mitchell, and Gofen Mputubwele, with guidance from Emily Botin and assistance from Harrison Keithline, Michael May, David Gable, and Alejandra Deckett. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.